This is the one that has been memorialized in Michelangelo's famous painting. It's the one that's been entered into the, to the lexicon of our public belief. Most people know when they see that image of the long table, for whatever reason, all sitting on one side. This is what we refer to as the Last Supper. But what this scene is depicting was Jesus leading his disciples in a Passover meal, in a Passover meal. This is also where we get the commands on communion that we now have to, to have today. Communion is foundational to the Jesus follower. Jesus commands us to do this as often as we gather. And the early church, they gathered to take communion. It was central to their worship. They would come together for communion, and then worship would flow from that place. And it's in these seemingly simple sacraments that the richness of our faith is realized. And so I'm going to quote this guy named Brant Petrie a couple of times today. He's a PhD from the University of Notre Dame, and he wrote a brilliant book. If you've ever wanted to know more about the Jewish roots of our faith, he wrote a book called The Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, and it is just an absolutely amazing book. And I love how he says this. He says, when it comes to the richness of the Christian tradition, many of its most profound insights into the Bible have not been lost, only overlooked by those of us who do not know them. They are there present, waiting to be discovered and realized anew. And this has been the journey through the word of God that our church has experienced. So many times I believe we think that our faith is shrouded in mystery. And there is a mystery to our faith. There is a mystery to how forgiveness of sins can be bought by a man on a cross. There is a mystery to how salvation can come through simple belief. But the doctrines of our faith, the, the, the foundational beliefs of being a Christian, they are not that mysterious. They are there for those who actually want to find them. And what I've found over the last 15 years or so of ministry is that oftentimes we would say with our mouth that, yes, we want to know God. But deep down, if we were honest with ourselves, we're terrified to actually meet him. Because if God comes, what does that mean? If God made himself known to you today, you would have to change. Something would have to shift. Your life would have to be reordered. And although we say with our mouth, we want to know if God is real, inside of our mind, many of us are absolutely terrified for him to actually show up. And this is why it's so important for us to be in the word of God. We need to know who God is. Although he is a righteous judge and he will judge the sins of the world, he is also a heavenly father. He's a father who loves to give good gifts. And if you come into the good grace of belief in Jesus Christ, it says you were adopted into sonship and you are now sons and daughters of the king. Sons and daughters of the king, which means you can come to your heavenly father. You can speak to him. It means Jesus will advocate on your behalf. Our God is alive. He stands at the right hand of the father and he speaks on your behalf today, if you would like him to. But that's the thing is he's not a strong man. He will not impose his will upon you. He comes where he's invited. It's in these seemingly simple sacraments like worship and communion and prayer that the richness of our faith is realized. So every step in this scene we call the Last Supper was supernaturally precise. God has already arranged who would organize the room, who would bring the food. He'd already gone before them to make sure that the time was set and that it was sacred. We talked about this in our leadership team in depth, just how many little details went into these things. He tells them, just go into a town, look for a man following a, uh, carrying a pitcher, follow him and ask him where the room is set. 
I mean, just imagine, we talked about this with our leadership team months ago where we, we get that story, but what's the story of the guy with the picture? What's the story of the guy who set the room up? What did God say to him? Did he Was he visited by an angel? Did the Lord himself appear? This man prepared a Passover meal and he had no clue who was coming. And then one day, two strangers wandered up and said, do you have the room that the father said to prepare? He said, I do, follow me. And then we never see that guy again. Who was that guy? What happened in his life? What did he see? I want to know what that guy saw. To have that kind of faith to just set up the room and say, here it is. I mean, there's so much richness to the word of God. There's so many little caveats and side stories, and there's so much beauty. There's beautiful little breadcrumbs that the Lord left for us to follow him. We just have to go and look for it. So look at this again, Mark 14, look at uh, verse 13. So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples. He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. This is where you should prepare our meal. After gathering in this room, they begin to eat and they sit and they begin the Passover meal. And Jesus begins to explain to them that one of them are going to betray him. And again, look at verse 18. As they were eating at the table, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here today will betray me. Greatly distressed, each of them turned and asked, am I the one? Again, it's these little thoughts that we need to linger on. Can you imagine being in that moment, being there for this very special occasion? Passover was of the utmost importance, still is of the utmost importance to the Jewish faith. It was a holy, holy moment, a holy experience. All of these men growing up Jewish would have taken some type of commute or some type of Passover meal every year of their life. Every year of their life, they would have gathered with their family. They probably would have listened to their father recite the liturgy of the Passover meal. They would have sat under the, the, the weight of it, the tradition of it, the ancestry of it. It was so, so important still to this day. And if you're in Jerusalem, the whole entire city shuts down for the Passover meal. And they're sitting in this meal. They know this moment is important. They don't quite know what's really taking place. But before the Passover meal begins, Jesus looks up and says, one of you will betray me. After all that they had seen, after many of them had began to believe, after Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, they knew this was all leading to some amazing moment. Yet before they can get there, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And again, if you just think of that moment, think of the tension in the air as they looked at each other and said, is it you? Is it you? It can't possibly me. There's no way is it me. And then the guilt would have set in. Maybe the shame, maybe the moments where they had doubted Jesus all of a sudden began to sit in and they start to say, maybe it's me. Is it me? Is it me? And I don't know about you. I know I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to admit these things, right? But I've had moments of doubt. I've had moments of guilt. I've had moments where I've doubted if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, if Jesus is the Lord of my life. And we see this scene play out. And once again, Jesus reveals to them what's to come because he needs them to know that he is Lord. Jesus then replies, it's one of you 12 who is eating from the bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. So in this scene, although we see it in Michelangelo's painting as them all sitting at this long table, kind of equally dispersed, 
but this is not how it would have been. It would have been in a large open room and they would have been sitting on the floor. There would have been plates sat all along and they would have been sitting in pillows around the food and there would have been many large communal bowls. And and, and in Jewish culture and in, in many Middle Eastern cultures, they still eat out of communal bowls. And to be invited in, it was a symbol of trust and community. Still to this day, my brother is a pilot in the Air Force. He travels all over the Middle East. And many of these countries still, he says, that you're invited in if someone offers that to you, to invite you into their home, eating out of these communal bowls. It signifies basically, hey, we're family now. We're family now. And this is what was taking place. It wasn't this big you know, communal setting at a table. They would have been laying on their side, very comfortable, sandals kicked off, feet washed, even at times laying against each other, just having a good time, enjoying each other's company. And then the mood shifts and Jesus begins to teach. Jesus begins to, to show us, even today, that in the face of betrayal, he still invited G- Judas in. He still shared a bowl with him. He still laid next to him. This means Judas, because he said Judas was sharing the bowl with him. Judas would have been laying right next to him. They would have been touching each other. They would have been laying intimately close together like you only do with family. And then the mood shifts. He sets the disciples down. He begins to teach to them in a different way. And then the Passover meal begins. And you have to understand that as the Passover meal begins, there's a liturgy a script, if you will, that the, the, the head of the household leads the dinner through. And every single one of these men would have been very, very familiar with this Passover meal. Every year of their entire lives, they would have listened to the liturgy of the Passover. But when Jesus begins this Passover meal, something changes. He changes some very noticeable details. The Passover meal, like I said, it has this liturgy It's a script of sorts that goes through the reading of scripture, the eating of certain foods, the singing of certain songs. And at the end of each section, four sections, there's a drinking of a cup of wine that is drank by the head of the household. But this time, Jesus changes some things up. Look at this, 1422. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. He then broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this for this is my body. He took a cup of wine and thanked God for it, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus and his disciples, they still ate the Passover meal. They still sang the Psalms. They still read the scripture. They still prayed the prayers. But then Jesus took these very, very traditional parts of the Passover meal, the passing of bread, and the drinking of wine, and he changes them up. And he changes them up. Applying new meaning to what was the unleavened bread, or what's called matzah bread, which represents the haste in which Israel fled from from Egypt. When they fled out of captivity in Egypt, they left so quickly that they did not have time to bring yeast. So the bread that they ate as they traveled out of Egypt was matzah bread, which is unleavened bread. And the blood of the spotless lamb, representing the lambs that were slain before the angel of death came during that last night in Egyptian captivity, is what was represented in the drinking of the wine. But now Jesus says, take this bread, it's my body. Drink this wine, it's my blood. He says this confirms the new covenant between God and his people. So again, you see these men in this room would have been possibly a little panicky 
possibly a little worried. They would have been murmuring to each other. You see, to change the Passover liturgy would be considered blasphemy. Blasphemy. What Jesus was saying was he was inserting himself into the role of God, of what God did. The greatest story that their ancestors have ever told. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is inserting himself into it. You'd have to understand that there would have been an initial panic that set in in these men. They would have been like, whoa, 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 wait, what is he saying? What is he doing? What is he changing? They would have murmured amongst each other. They would have been whispering. They would have been misunderstanding what was taking place, but the faith in the room would have been rising, and they had to have known that something special was taking place. But as Passover tradition dictates, Jesus should have then finished the last cup of wine. This is known as the Hallel cup. It's called the cup of praise which signifies the completion of the Passover meal. But this is not what Jesus did. In fact, this is what he says. I tell you the truth. I will not drink the wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So again, track with me today, church. The Passover meal, everyone in that room would have known exactly how it had to go. Jesus rewrites the liturgy, inserts himself in the place of God's grace and God's power. And then at the end, he raises the Hillel cup, but instead of drinking it, marking that it is finished, right? God's decrees have been released. His judgment has been sent. His people have been set free. Hallelujah, the Hillel cup. He would have then finished it and they would have celebrated and sang, but he says, no, I will not drink this cup. In fact, I will not drink wine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of heaven. And for those with Jewish eyes, meaning every man in this room, this would have been so significant. Jesus not only altered the meal by focusing it on his body and his blood instead of the Passover lamb, but he deliberately leaves the Passover liturgy incomplete. And then to add more fuel to the fire and to stoke the disciples' imagination, this is how he ends the meal. They sang a song, or they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this may seem to us like that's how you end a church gathering, right? We gather together, we do the thing, at the end we sing a song, now it's time to go home. <laughs> but this hymn that they sang, it most likely would have been taken out of Psalm 118, which is the Hallel Psalm, the Hallel Hallelujah Psalm. This is the psalm that marked the end. You drink the Hallel cup, the wine has been drinking, God's judgment has been delivered, his people have been set free. Hallelujah. Now we sing the song to remember and to declare that God is victorious. But again, Jesus doesn't drink the drink, but yet they still sing the song. And then Jesus says, Follow me. And they head out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus never finishes the meal. He never drinks the final cup. And so here's the big question, right? Why? Why doesn't he drink the final cup? This is a detail that is missed so often, especially today in the American church. But why didn't Jesus drink the final cup? He made these alterations to the liturgy. He inserts himself into the place of God's sacrifice. Yet why doesn't he finish the cup? Well, we're going to look at John's gospel for some insight to bring this home. Mark doesn't record this moment. But John does. Look at John 19, verse 28. It says this. <clears throat> Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. This is Jesus on the cross. This is Jesus crucified. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. 
A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked the sponge on it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, what did he say? It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You guys tracking with me? By waiting to drink the fourth cup of the Passover until the very moment of his death, Jesus united the last supper to his death on the cross. By refusing to drink the fruit of the vine, until he gave up his final breath, he joined the offering of himself under the form of bread and wine to the offering of himself on the cross at Calvary. Both actions say the same thing. This is my body given for you. Both were done for the forgiveness of sins. Both were done for the ransom of many. By means of the last supper, listen to this church, Jesus transformed the cross into a Passover. And by means of the cross, he transformed the last supper into a sacrifice. And this is why we take communion. As often as we gather, this is why we take communion. And this is the true meaning of Easter. Jesus' betrayal, his suffering, his agony, his passion, his death, all united into a new Passover, a new covenant, and we both celebrate and declare through the sacraments of communion. And this is why it's called the Lord's Supper. This is why it's called the Lord's Supper, because it commemorates the Passover meal. Some call it the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving, because we thank God for Christ's work in us. Some call it the Lord's Supper, because, because it commemorates the Passover meal, but we refer to it as communion because through it, we commune with God and other believers. But today, as we close the service, eating the bread and drinking the wine, we're going to take communion today. Let's reflect on God's glory. Let's reflect on the majesty of his goodness, on his plan for redemption for us, on the body and the blood of Christ that just for this coming moment, allows us to stand outside of space and time as we commune with the body of Christ throughout history. As we take of the bread and we take of the wine and we believe that God gives us today our daily bread and we receive it in faith that it is Christ crucified, what it does is it connects us to the entire body of Christ throughout history. We are connected now to a body. We are no longer solo. We are no longer individual. We are now a part of a body. We are one in Christ. We are the body and he is the head. And I'm telling you right now, today is Easter. And what are we celebrating? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the true resurrection celebration doesn't point to him coming back the first time. It points to him coming back the second time. And the first time he came as a suffering servant, but listen to me, church, the second time he comes as a king. He comes as a king. And so every single time we take of that bread and every single time we take of that wine, we declare that Christ is king. Christ is king. The sacraments of communion or the liturgy, the, the story that we tell ourselves to remind us that we are a part of God's kingdom. Our Jewish roots now run deep all the way back to the beginning. We are adopted into sonship. It says we are grafted into the vine. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are a Jew in the eyes of God. It means that we are now a part of that Jewish liturgy. We are now a part of the Jewish lineage. The word of God gave life. 
Jesus is the word. His blood weaves us into the fabric of our Jewish lineage. All the way back to the genesis of creation, from the beginning to the end, as the word of God spoke and life began. Easter is the recognition of the empty tomb. It's the celebration of the resurrection. Jews still today celebrate the Passover meal to recount the story of God's plan of salvation. They recount the story of him coming to set them free. Believing Jews who do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they're still waiting. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. They're still taking it of the Passover meal, going through the liturgy, drinking of the Hallel cup, singing the Hallel psalm, and declaring that God's Messiah will come. But the communion that we take, the Passover that we celebrate today is different. Worship team, you can come back up. The Passover meal that we share declares that the Messiah has come, that Christ is King, that forgiveness is available, and that death has been defeated. As the angel of death passed through Egypt with the mission of killing every firstborn son, that same angel passed over every house that had the blood of the spotless lamb rubbed on its doorpost. And this is how the sons of Israel avoided the judgment of God. Everyone remembers the story of the plagues, right? Moses comes and says, let my people go. Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he won't let them go. And so he walks them through a series of plagues sent by God to get him to release his people. The last plague that finally breaks Pharaoh is a plague that comes in in the form of the angel of death and kills every firstborn son throughout the entire country. And God tells Moses to tell the people to sacrifice a spotless lamb, take the blood and rub it over the doorpost of your home. And as the angel of death comes into Egypt, he will pass over the homes that have the blood of the lamb. And this is where we get the Passover meal. But today, Easter 2023, here at the Royal Coachman in Nokomis, Florida, we too, through the taking of communion, mark the doorposts of our lives. When we take of the bread and when we drink of the wine, we are spiritually marking ourselves, not with the mark of the beast, but with the mark of God. The doorposts of our homes are now marked with the blood of the spotless lamb. And when the angel of death comes for you, you will be passed over and delivered to the hands of your heavenly father. Amen. This is why we take communion as often as we gather. There is no gathering in Christ's name if communion is not present. Jesus says, when you gather, or two or three of you gather in my name, I am there with you. And often as we gather, we are meant to take of communion because every time we are gathering in Jesus's name, we should be declaring that death and the grave have been defeated. Boldly declaring that Jesus has defeated death and the grave, and in him today, salvation has come. You are forgiven. You are wiped clean. And if you profess your faith in Jesus Christ today, when the angel of death comes to knock on your door, you will be passed over, and you will be met by the heavenly embrace of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Church, will you stand with me? We're going to close the service out with worship and communion. 
And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read a scripture over you and I'm going to pray over you. And then I'm going to release you at your leisure when you're ready to go and grab communion and then take that with someone. You can do that however you like. The only thing we ask is don't take communion alone. I'm going to ask Becky and Larry to stand up here and I'm going to ask Steve and Renee if they could come up here. And listen to me, guys, when we take communion, it's meant to be a time of searching and repentance. We don't just take it willy-nilly. We don't just take it because this is now the part of the service where we take it. It says that we're meant to ask the Lord to search our heart and to examine our motives. And then anything that the Lord reveals, it says that we're meant to repent of it and then take of communion and trust that we are forgiven. However, it also says that if we have unforgiveness in our heart, that we should not take it. And what that means is that I'm not talking about sin. We all have sin. I'm not saying that you and your heart have guilt and shame so you don't feel like you should take communion. What it means is that if you have unforgiveness, if you have bitterness, if you have unconfessed sin in your heart, don't leave with that today. Come forward, talk to the cooks or the Haydens, let them pray over you, and then take communion in faith knowing that Jesus died for your sins and you're forgiven today. But this is why we're meant to take communion as often as we gather. We're meant to go through a process of repentance. It's not a mechanical thing that we just do because it's next in order of the religious service. It's meant to be a time where we turn our eyes to heaven and we say, God, I love you and I know that you're real. But if there's anything in me that offends you, reveal it now and I will lay it down at the foot of the cross. And if Jesus brings anything to mind, you've got unforgiveness, you've got bitterness, you've got vengeance in your heart, maybe. Lay that down. If you need help with that, ask for prayer. If you don't need help with that, then give it to the Lord yourself. You can come boldly to the throne if you are a son or a daughter. But don't leave with that sin inside of you today. And then take communion knowing that you were washed by the blood of the spotless lamb. Amen? I'm going to pray a prayer over you. I'm going to ask you to take communion during this last song. We're going to worship, and then we're going to call it a day. So Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God that leads us into the truth of who you are. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on our behalf. Lord, we don't deserve it and we certainly can't earn it. But today we recognize that Christ bought a way that he ransomed us. God, we come boldly to the throne today. We admit that we are sinners, but in the admission of our sin, we recognize that we so, so need a savior. Jesus, you are that savior. We worship you today through praise, through the preaching of the word of God, and now through the taking of the Lord's Supper, we come to you in communion today, Lord, to commune with our Heavenly Father, to commune with the Son, to commune with the Holy Spirit, and to commune with all the other brothers and sisters and believers who have met together in this way throughout history. Lord, you saw the end from the beginning. You knew we would be here today. You knew we would be hustling and sweating through the rain. You knew we would have technical difficulties, and yet you knew if we persisted that you would be there because we're two or three gather in your name, you are with us. And so Lord, we pray a blessing over the communion, over the elements, over the bread and the wine. We believe it is the body and the blood of Christ. Wash over us today, Lord. Receive our prayers, receive our broken praises. Lord, and replace them with the grace that was bought for us on the cross. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. And the church said, amen. amen.